You're listening to the Winter Hughes Podcast with Joe and Eric Hughes. And now, here's the Hughes Brothers. Welcome to the Winter Hughes Podcast, a Bay Area sports podcast with a heavy focus on the Oakland A's. I'm Joe Hughes alongside my co-host and brother Eric Hughes. And Rick, a lot to get into for the A's this week. Uh, the team's first game back in Oakland since the A's announced that they were shifting their focus towards Las Vegas. We also got to see Shintaro Fujinami, the big free agent signing, move from the starting rotation to the bullpen this week as the A's trying to find some stability in their starting rotation, which has been a huge problem this season. Also, the second start from flamethrowing rookie Mason Miller, one of the A's top prospects, Luis Medina, making his big league debut, plus the season debut of Drew Rosinski as the A's trying to remake their starting rotation, and Brent Rooker, a legitimate middle-of-the-order hitter for the Oakland A's. So that's one of the positive things, but... Rick, let's get into uh, what happened on Friday as the A's played their first game back in Oakland since the team blew up negotiations with the city. They announced that land deal in Las Vegas, still a little bit on shaky grounds. We'll talk a little bit about that later, but it was the first chance for fans to voice their displeasure, and they did it in an organized effort. Fans were wearing the cell shirts that they had banners put up. They marched around the ballpark leading chants and Major League Baseball even took a step to try and limit their visibility on what we saw on social media. I wanted to talk a little bit about that, but Rick, I wanted to give you a chance first with your impressions of what happened to the A's on Friday night when fans got their first opportunity to really voice that displeasure, what you saw and what your thoughts are with what we saw now that A's fans have had a chance to really have their voice heard a little bit. Well, I think it was great that the fans tried to organize something pre-game and to show that it isn't the fans. The fans are here. The fans support the team, even as poorly as the team is playing right now. And on the heels of the announcement of buying some land in Las Vegas, I think it was great to see the fans making uh, an organized effort to get out and show some support. It was a little bit of bad timing to have that happening at the exact same time as a Warriors game. You know, uh, a lot of A's fans are also Warriors fans. And people come from Sacramento for the game, too. So you've got two markets that the A's traditionally draw some fans from, both engaged in a playoff game happening in the Bay Area, sometimes in Sacramento, but for that Friday game, it was in San Francisco, yeah. You know, depending on what you see, and I know uh, the national media kind of goes for that low-hanging fruit of looking for poor turnout and things like that. And depending on whose pictures you were looking at, I think you could get a different view of how many people were actually there trying to show their support or how sparsely populated it was. Uh, But I think what you were referring to earlier, that concentrated effort by Major League Baseball to hide that. And uh, that's, you know, a little suspicious. Um, Not like it's out of the realm for Major League Baseball to get into some off-field controversy, whether that be steroids or, you know, juicing some balls or, you know, whatever have you. So, um, you know, I I think me as maybe as a a little bit of a paranoid fan, I do think that it goes back into this grassroots effort by the fans 
to make this reverse boycott to show that it's not the fans. Like, is there some collusion here with Major League Baseball that, hey, we're we're going to make this. This is the pitch. This is what we're doing. And we are organized in our effort to go about that. Well, as much as the fans have done a great job and really shout out to the Oakland 68s and Last Dive Bar and the way that this has really been organized on a fan front, you know, Major League Baseball is organized as well. And it's the job of the commissioner in Major League Baseball, just playing devil's advocate here, to protect their own interest. And by their own interest, that means their owners. And that's John Fisher. So, you know, don't forget Major League Baseball, as much as they're trying to sell you something, they're not on your side. They're on their own side. And John Fisher is their guy for better or for worse, whether the owners like him or not. That's what Major League Baseball is trying to do. And you brought up a good point about depending on whose pictures you were looking at, you might have got a different picture on Friday. And something happened on Friday night that was, you know, very interesting. And that was Major League Baseball trying to limit the visibility that we saw from those fan groups leading that charge against John Fisher and Dave Cavill and trying to get the team to sell. That came on Friday night. Ryan Noda hit a home run to right field. And that forced the cameras to go where those banners were. But Major League Baseball, on the app and on the highlights that they posted, they cut around that shot that we saw on the broadcast that included those posters. The cut was later posted on social media. So was the original. You saw them stacked on top of each other. And in that version that we saw on social media, as of taping this podcast, over 1.3 million views, which kind of showed and exposed, you know, Major League Baseball censorship about this. Now, Major League Baseball later changed it. They did have a league spokesman come out and say, quote, we were unaware of the edit when it came to our attention. We corrected it as it is inconsistent with our policy, end quote. But my reading of the situation from working in the media is that on some level, the A's reached out directly to those responsible for putting the highlights together and, you know, asked not to put this up, you know, don't share any of these highlights. And then when it gets shared on social media by a site like, you know, John Boy or Talking Baseball, putting it out there, really exposing it, that brings it to the attention of people higher up, which maybe weren't involved in those, you know, initial conversations. Then Major League Baseball, seeing the bad press, you know, being able to read that is like, no, we, we just can't do this. We can't censor it like that. We've already been caught doing it, you know, whether it was consistent or not. And, you know, making that change because them trying to limit what fans saw made this a way bigger story. And we got to see a lot more people got to see those banners saying, sell the team and calling Dave Cavill a liar because at some level, Major League Baseball censored this and brought it to a bigger audience. I'm glad that that's getting more attention. We've all known that it isn't the fans, right? It's it's the quality of the product that they're delivering to the fans. They're delivering a lower quality product than what everyone is hoping for or everyone expects. And they're charging higher prices for it, you know, which has just been a, a really consistent thing here. And then instead of blaming the person that has the power to change anything about that, either give us some discount prices if you're going to put together a discount team and people will still show up because we love to go out there and see the game or give us a high quality team and then we will show up. It's something that we've talked about before. If you build it, we will come. It's the narrative and the national narrative that the fans don't care that's just so frustrating. And as a fan, to be watching this baseball, which we watch for entertainment, you know, a, a little bit of escape from 
the the humdrum of our regular lives or because we really enjoy the sport or hey speak for yourselves my life is not humdrum <laughs> yeah. all right but so whatever <laughs> it is right whatever reason that gets you into it it's an entertainment thing right and so when it's not even that entertaining right and and some of these are blowout games where we're getting records for walk and not good records really frustrating to be a fan that does support the team and to hear like oh it's it's you guys that don't care when the person that can change it is getting you know protected and or you know let off the hook to your point i mean friday's game was the first time that the fans had a chance to go out there and show their organized effort now june 13th the reverse boycott is still planned that was the original date before the a's made their vegas announcement of this reverse boycott that is still on for june 13th last i bar they are offering those we are here shirts uh, they're using the proceeds from those shirts. You can get tickets. You can reach out to the guys at Last Dive Bar as they're using proceeds from those shirts to purchase tickets to help get more fans there. Oaklandish, another uh, shirt-making company, they're making those sell shirts that we saw fans wearing. And fans on Twitter are sharing instructions about how to make banners and signs that you can put up around the ballpark and what you're allowed to do, how you're allowed to put those signs. You can't cover advertising and you can't be vulgar with it. It's got to be a, a clean message. So they're putting that out there so that other fans know what signs you can make and how to display them at the ballpark to let this grow. And something that I thought was really interesting that I don't think the A's uh, organization was ready for on Friday's game, we saw the fans marching through the concourse, walking around, leading an organized chant like you would expect to see in a real protest if it was taking place on city streets or, you know, in a downtown square. And the A's fans, you know, at what point would the A's be able to shut something like that down if they tried? Is this grows on, and you have your fans marching through and just making your ballpark their, you know, their Apple box to stand on and be able to have that platform to reach those other fans and to get their message out. I don't know if you can if you're the A's, because frankly, you don't draw that many fans in the first place. And so when you had a third of your ballpark walking around, what are you going to do? Since that news initially came out when where everyone, I think, kind of took it as it was like an ultimate, it's final, the game is over. More and more, it seems like the discussion is, the A's may move. The A's may do this. You see more and more reporting that's showing that, well, they don't really have a lot of their I's dotted and there's T's crossed. So it's not as further along as as you think it is. But then you got to wonder, like, if they were bluffing, how do they back out of this? And if we've seen this as an owner that really just doesn't care about the fans, does he move anyway just to save face? To go, oh, I, I wasn't bluffing. Let's say they don't and they do shut this down. Like, what what would their, their end result be at this point? So that's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, variables to this that can change at any time. Like, let's start with Vegas, what we know. The A's made this proposal. They're working. They're trying to do a lot of this scramble really quickly to get some deals done with some unions that they can announce the deals done with. But they're still going to need $500 million dollars from an area that's already put up public money for two other sports venues. And they're going to be looking for, you know, a lot of money and public support, which may not be there, especially the tactics that the A's are using to 
show that baseball isn't sustainable in Oakland is going to work to their detriment to try and sell a product to Las Vegas that says invest in this team. These right now have a payroll that is $100 million lower than the average payroll in baseball. So they've got a history of not spending money on their product and then telling the people of Vegas, give us $500 million. Trust us. We're going to spend money this time. Well, look at their other investments. They don't do that with the earthquakes. you know. And I know the earthquakes playing a lot better this season, but they have not spent a lot of money on that team after getting a new stadium. That is a telling sign for the people of Las Vegas to wonder and to severely question whether it is worth getting in bed with John Fisher. And we've already seen that the A's and Dave Cavill have ruffled some feathers with people in Vegas with some of the the way that they have gone about asking for this $500 million. Now, well, the A's have until June to kind of get a deal done with the legislature before there's a big break. They also have this January deadline of next year to get a deal done in either Vegas or Oakland so that they can stay on the revenue-sharing money for Major League Baseball. And if they get a deal done in Vegas, reportedly, they're asking the commissioner to waive a relocation fee, which is money out of the owner's pockets. Also, it ensures that the A's, by leaving the sixth largest media market and going to, I think, the 40th largest media market, they would stay on revenue sharing. That means you're going to take money out of the owner's pockets by not giving them a relocation fee and by forcing them to continue to give you money and you need the owner's approval on this. So there's a lot out there that's, you know, like the A's ruffling feathers in Vegas and they're going to need their owners, their fellow owners approval to get a sweetheart deal to be able to move to a smaller media market and leave Oakland. If they leave, they also have to pay out what's left on their lease, right? And uh, the, the deal numbers- that they've done to purchase half of the Oakland Coliseum, they would immediately, if they leave, they would have to pay the remaining amount owed on that because I think it goes to like 2027 that they owe like $10 million a year. They'd have to pay the remaining balance of what they promised to pay the county for their half of the Oakland Coliseum. You're right. That's a great point. And that, I think it comes out to around $90 million. And I think what's being reported is like that the difference in getting that Oakland deal done was what, like $88 million, right? Yeah. And I know that's a difference between a, a cumulative sum and adding like $88 million on top of everything else or just eating $90 million. But it's just kind of like, there's your money right there. You're you're going to have to spend that anyway. Do you think you could do that? Do you think you could eat $90 million? Oh, man, I'd love to try. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give it a go. I just need a supplier. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, it, it's frustrating from a, a baseball and a fan point of view, a fan standpoint. Uh, it's been great, though, to see that, The team feels like they finally got more fight in them. You know, at the beginning of the year, it seemed like if things started going against the A's way, they would find an inning where they were like, hey, come on, we're we're major league ball players too. Let's go out and let's try this. And then if that inning fell apart, then it was over. Where it doesn't really feel like that anymore. And it feels like, hey, we're we're going to go out there. We're going to give it our all. And, you know, we did get to see some cool things this week, right? Rooker and Aguilar with those back-to-back, back-to-backs, you know? So that was pretty cool. Five runs against Shohei Otani, Brent Rooker, and Shea Langoliers getting... 
first two homers? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, so there's been a lot of upside, especially compared to how it started, right? Well, I mean, how it started, the opening series was, the opening night was incredible, right? And then it fell off the rails pretty quickly there. And then it just felt like there wasn't a lot of fight. So it, it does feel good to see that a lot of these players that are coming up and getting a shot are putting in some fight, right? And like you mentioned, it's a rebuilt starting lineup already. And there's like a rotation of long middle relievers now, in addition to a starting rotation. And uh, that that's a little <laughs> unfortunate. Um, but what's really disappointing is the lack of production from the veterans. I think we heard David Forrest, the A's general manager, talk about this a little bit on uh, A's cast this week where he says, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting to the place where you're not going to see some of those veterans getting a long leash. And that's guys like, you know, Aletmus Diaz who got hurt. You know, he's probably headed to the IL from what we heard after Saturday's game. And then Jace Peterson, another guy who's struggling as a veteran. We love Tony Kemp. He's done a lot. He's got a lot banked with this organization. But any lineup that had Aletmus Diaz, Jace Peterson, and Tony Kemp in it, forget about it. That's three holes with the way that those guys are struggling. You want to see them get going because they do have a track record on the back of their baseball card. But right now, you can't afford to have all three of those guys in your lineup. And what I have liked is that the A's... I mean, they've been forced to. There's no way you can like sugarcoat how bad the A's pitching has been this year, especially the starting staff. Still, no wins for the starters. And you had a chance on Saturday with Kyle Muller in line with one out left to be the first A's starter to get a win this season. And then, you know, like obviously the backbreaker is a broken bat ball off the bag as Ryan Dode is right there to field it, that's going to end the game. But you still had Familia walk a pair, an infield single to load the bases, and got himself into that position in the first place. So it was a back-breaking loss. I mean, at the A's at this point, it's not that they're trying to find ways to lose. We know that they're penny pinching. I think they're just trying to not pay the royalties on playing celebration at the ballpark. That must <laughs> be it, you know. And for me, I I was thinking after that play, and in a, a game like football or baseball, it's really hard for me to say like, well, you can blame it all on this play right here because each game, it, it's all of these plays put together where everything could have gone a little different here or there. And then you're setting up for another outcome. I really think, and, and maybe I'm wrong here. Wasn't there a game where Barry Zito gave up one hit, but that one hit was a home run? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And okay, maybe that's the only one where you can say, okay, that play was the one that lost yeah, it. That, that one pitch. You, you <laughs> got to put yourself in position to win. If you're losing a game on one play, you didn't do well enough the rest of the game yeah. to win it. You know, you shouldn't be losing a game on one play. It was a little bit of a fluke, but you can't just blame it all on one play. I don't think anybody blames it all on one play for the way that the A's have been this bad. I mean, when there was still a week left to go in the month of April, they had already set the record for most losses in the month of April. And they've since added on to that total. It's tough because you're right. They're just not playing well enough. I mean, defense, they make mistakes. We see some bad bunts from, you know, Estuary Ruiz, unable to get a bunt down. Yeah. And with two strikes, see, you know, Kevin Smith in that game against the Angels had that ball where he tried to throw to third base to cut off the lead runner and threw it, you know, too far up the third baseline 
for there to be a simple play. They make a lot of mistakes. The pitchers make a lot of mistakes. Defense doesn't always help them out. And, you know, the offense is okay. I don't think the offense is, you know, necessarily a juggernaut. But, you know, without their best, most consistent hitter in Seth Brown, because he's been hurt, they just got Ramon Laureano back this last weekend. But they have developed some guys that you feel like, okay, I'm starting to see what I can count on. Ryan Noda, not a perfect player by any stretch of the imagination, sees a lot of pitches, gets a lot, gets on base a lot. You know, it's the old money ball. What does he do? He gets on base, strikes out a lot, sees a lot of pitches. That's a positive sign. Ruiz struggled a little bit in the last week, but still, when he gets on base, he's lived up to the billing. He steals bags. And then the guy that you have in the middle of the order, Brent Rooker, has been a legitimate middle-of-the-order threat for this A's team. Now, there's a lot that goes wrong, but that is one of the things the A's got right. He was a guy that made the roster on the final day before the season. They told him in San Francisco, and coming into Sunday, he has eight home runs. That's tied with Matt Olson and Rowdy Telez, fifth most in baseball. His OPS, that's on base and slugging percentage, seventh best at 1.178. He hasn't played enough games to qualify yet, but that is a higher OPS than Matt Chapman. Tied with Matt Olson and homers, higher OPS than Matt Chapman. I mean, he's still got to get some games to him, but Brent Rooker in the middle of the lineup has given the A's a legitimate, solid offensive threat that other teams have to consider. And Shea Langoliers started to come around, hitting some homers, including Brent Rooker and Shea Langoliers homering against Shohei Otani. The first homers that Otani has allowed this season, first homers, against him since August of last year. That's definitely been a shining spot. Uh, going back, you were just talking about making mistakes. And, you know, I was uh, at the softball field in Fremont all day. And Don't you wish Fremont was the home of the Oakland A's with the Vegas? I was just going to say, uh, after that Vegas announcement, Fremont suddenly doesn't seem so far away. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, uh, closer it than still Vegas. is, right? But uh, <laughs> it reminds me of my kids' team because when the pitcher gets in trouble there, you need the rest of the team to come on and help him out. And when the team is making mistakes, you're just putting that pitcher under more pressure. You're giving those batters more looks. And it, it's just building the pressure on the pitcher again. So it's been a little frustrating to think like, you know, you guys are the major leaguers. You guys are the big dogs. The prices you're paying to go and watch the A's and the quality of the team that's out there, it feels like there's one major league team going. You know, And like we said, the A's have these holes in their lineup, and those are supposed to be the veterans, the guys you can count on, and the guys that are supposed to push you and get you there. And those are the holes in our lineup. Whereas when we're going and we're facing other teams, Top to bottom, they have professional baseball players on there. The A's knew coming into this season that they were counting a lot on new guys and they were counting a lot on inexperienced guys, rookies that have a track record in the minor leagues that were highly touted. You know, like you look through the lineup and it's not a bunch of guys that, you know, a replacement level player. These are all guys that were highly touted and for whatever reason, the A's were able to get them. And some of them have worked out on the offensive side like we were just talking about with guys like Ruiz and Noda and even Brent Rooker no Rooker for sure it hasn't worked out with a lot of the pitchers and the A's have had to make a lot of scrambles and a lot of changes including calling up Mason Miller after just two starts in the minor leagues and he's looked really good I mean he got hit around a little bit early on in that start against the Angels but context in all things is key remember he got squeezed facing Anthony Rendon in what should have been 
a three-pitch strikeout, winds up, he doesn't get a couple calls, Rendon winds up working a walk, and then, you know, bloop a bunt, and things just kind of fell apart a little bit, but he bounced back really strong. The A's also called up Luis Medina to make a start this last week, and then they sent him back down, but that's because they need pitchers in their rotation that can, you know, they can count on other bullpen. So are we going to see a lot of these guys, maybe some of the guys in double A right now in triple A, I think you're going to see them getting some opportunities here. If those guys, the A's were hoping would be able to go one through five through the rotation, aren't able to quite do that. Drew Rusinski on Friday, a guy that they signed from Korea, a lot of work and experience in Korea. They were really hoping he would kind of be, you know, maybe not the ace of the staff, but a guy that was going to give you accounted on five innings, even if it's only four earned runs, these would take five and four right now. If you could guarantee it every turn through the rotation that that was going to be the kind of numbers, that's how low the bar is for the consistency they're looking from their starting pitching. For sure, the bar is low. And uh, for Miller and Medina, I think the, the most impressive thing is they both were able to strike out Trout and Otani back to back. What that has to do for their confidence, even though, you know, the whole outings were very good and we nobody got a win there. But to be able to go, I faced two of the best hitters in baseball and I punched them out. So my stuff is good. You know, like I, I just need to get more consistent with that. We've also seen Caprillion go down, right? Because he's been having difficulty. And so what I'm really hoping is that Caprillion kind of takes this as because he could take this multiple ways, right? He could go, I was in the Yankees organization. I got sent over to the A's organization and now I've moved down. I'm just not good enough, right? That's one way he can take it. And I'm really hopeful that that's not how he takes it. I'm really hopeful that he gets some things figured out here so that he can bounce back up. But I think for Miller and Medina, being young and being just able to come up, I think that that was great for their confidence to be like, I can hang with these guys. I just got to get a little more consistent here. Yeah, and you want to see them feel like they're learning stuff. So like Mason Miller, for example, struggling early on, but then coming back and looking very strong to finish his start. That's an encouraging sign as opposed to going the other way around. Like what we were seeing with maybe a Shintaro Fujinami when he would start really well and then all fall apart. I think you're right that there's a lot there for something to build on. And, you know, maybe a guy like Drew Rosinski and that consistency we're talking about takes pressure off of some of those young A starters. Because if you're, say, the third guy in a rotation that's coming up in back-to-back nights where the starter didn't go four innings, that's a lot of pressure because you know that the bullpen is counting on you for a break. You know the team is looking for you to get deep, and then you're pressing a little bit. And maybe that's been part of the issue because they don't have that stable force. They thought they were going to get that with maybe Paul Blackburn and hopefully they can get him back soon. And now they're hoping that Drew Rosinski can be that guy that can just anchor this rotation to say like, hey, I'm going to give you five or six quality innings every time out. And it doesn't mean the A's are going to win. We saw that on Saturday when they got some quality work from Kyle Muller. And, you know, had a chance with one out left to go in the ninth inning to get a win. It didn't work out that way, but... If they were able to find something they could build on in a positive way and just somebody that they think like, all right, this is not going to be a total crapshoot every time we have a starter out there. Maybe it is Mason Miller. Maybe it is Luis Medina. Maybe it is one of these guys in the minor leagues. Maybe Paul Blackburn comes back. But, you know, we saw the numbers for what the A's have given up as a pitching staff. I think I sent it to you from the guys at Codify put this. 
you know, we're not even a month into the season and the A's have already given up 200 runs this first month. It's just, it's even like guys that they thought they were going to count on a little bit. Like you mentioned Caprillion who struggled. That was a guy that the last few years, a 4.23 ERA, a 4.07 ERA, not an ace of the staff, but that is what they're hoping for at this point. Just some consistency from somebody that's not going to have a 10-plus ERA and be out of there by the third inning because they've walked five or six guys. I think we just have to acknowledge that you're just in bad shape when, like you just said, we're not even a month in and the rotation is just constantly like, we don't have this figured out at all. Like, that's what spring is for. Get that figured out. And yes, you can have an injury to somebody. To have this just be musical chairs with this rotation, I think a little bit was trying to make some accommodations for Fuji so he could go six games. That is a big problem when you are not even a month in the season and it's just a revolving door of starting pitchers here. You made me laugh earlier when you mentioned as a uh, a rotation of relievers because of what the A's have had to do. You know, they've had to have these guys that started the season in the rotation try out basically to be a long reliever. Adrian Martinez got hurt. Adam Aller has been the guy that you've seen do it the most this season. They gave James Caprillion a shot. And now Shintaro Fujinami, the big free agent signing that they had, bringing him in from Japan. They actually had a press conference to make the announcement. They guaranteed on the spot in the starting rotation to start the season. This week, the A's announced that, you know what? Because of the way it's working out, we're going to give him a chance to figure it out in the bullpen. And we got a chance to see that. He's made two appearances out of the bullpen this last week. He went two innings against the Angels. Came in, he gave up one run. It was unearned in that game. Another one of the A's errors there. He struck out three, walked one. Okay, it's pretty good. Game was already out of reach at that point, but we'll take it. And then he came in against the Reds on Friday night, went one inning, didn't go as well, two hits, two earned runs, and the big bugaboo for the A's, three walks. What they're looking for, whether you get results or not, they want to see guys who throw strikes. One of the reasons that they love Mason Miller so much is he doesn't just throw 102, he throws strikes consistently. And that's something they're really looking forward from some of these young guys coming up, that if you can throw strikes there will be an opportunity for you here in Oakland. So that comes down to it. So why can't they throw the strikes? Is it a mental thing? Is it a mechanical thing? Why are we missing the strikes? Because we can't just keep giving up those free bases. And if you put a ball in play, at least it gives your fielders the chance to go make a play, right? I know we've seen a lot of mistakes, so maybe the pitcher's like, I can't. It really shows the shape that the the ball club is in right now when we're struggling to do the basics right, you know? And then when you can't do the basics right, these small things go and they, they pile up. And we're playing teams like we've been saying, oh, they're playing good teams. They're playing good teams. You can't give them anything. You can't go giving them anything and then just getting them off the hook. And it's just putting more pressure on everyone. I think it's putting pressure on the coaching staff with their decisions. Should I keep them in? I go back to something we were talking about uh, a while ago. What are the vibes in the clubhouse? Like, what do you imagine that is? Is it just like a feeling of hopelessness? Is it just like, hey, it's all right. We'll go out. We'll get the next one. Like, I... 
what is going on in there? What are those vibes? Yeah, Mark Kotze talked about this after Saturday's game when the A's lost that game to the Reds when they were up 2-1 to one in the ninth inning. And again, walks. Familia walks two guys. You get an infield single, and that winds up being part of the back break in a game the A's lost. They were one out away from winning. And he talked about one of the challenges is allowing these young guys to not get so deflated from a game like this. When they did enough well to earn a win and it falls apart, you know, A, walks, that's on them. But then a ball that bounces off a bag, it's one of those things where it feels like the same story over and over and over again where there's like this little freak thing happening that keeps the A's from being able to have it. Like a ball hitting off the bag, a broken bat ball hitting off the bag is just bad luck. That is just bad luck, especially when your defender's right there. How do you over and over and over again not allow that to deflate you? Well, probably because the A's have so much inexperience and so many young guys just happy to be able to get that opportunity. It might make it a little easier, definitely, than if you had a team full of veterans. You know, a guy like Ryan Noda is excited to get a chance to play. He was in the Dodgers system. He was being blocked by Freddie Freeman. There wasn't a path forward for him to play. Now he's suddenly with the A's, playing every day. Brent Rooker is a guy that's been looking for an opportunity. So these guys are not going to be, you know, maybe as quick to be deflated because they know how hard it is to get that chance. They're trying to make the most of it. And they know that if they don't perform, you know, you're going to be right back in the doldrums because you're probably not going to get as good an opportunity to show what kind of player you are as you are here in Oakland. And even if it's not going to be long-term with the A's, you still want to put some good stuff on tape that another team will take a a shot at you. So what point do you go all in on that with those young guys that are happy to be there? And you go, that's it. We're, We're bringing them all up, you know? And as much as we love Tony Kemp, maybe it is Nick Allen that needs to be in there in that lineup, you know? And there are struggles on offense for Nick Allen, but he's got a nice glove there and he makes a lot of plays on defense. Let's be honest, when you're leading a game two to one, you need some good defense in there. For not getting a lot of runs, we do have to bank on the defense, especially if the the pitchers are struggling. We need them to throw some strikes, but they need to be confident that the players behind them are going to be able to go and make a play. Who have been the best players for this A's team this year? The young guys, the inexperienced guys, like you were talking about. It hasn't been, you know, Ramon Laureano has played pretty well. He just came back, and on Saturday... You know, reminded everyone why you don't run on Ramon Laureano. Yep. If only we could use him to pitch. <laughs> Short of that, and what counts as a veteran this year is a guy like Shea Langoliers, who got some experience last year. Mason Miller has probably been their best starting pitching option. We've seen some positive signs at times from guys like J.P. Sears and Ken Waldachuk, but nothing consistent, which is what you consistently expect from a young team with inexperienced guys. So, And you keep thinking, like, well, could it get any worse? Well, I don't know if we want to find that out. It's kind of like that scene in like Avengers Age of Ultron when it's like, bring it on. And all of a sudden, all the robots swarm in and Captain America's like, you had to ask. <laughs> just hearing you say like, Shinny Lang Lears, we're going to count him a veteran. Yeah. It just reminded me of when I worked at Dick's Sporting Goods and on my second day, they had me training the new guy. <laughs> You're just kind of smile and nod, buddy. <laughs> A's baseball, smile and nod. <laughs> I don't know how long that'll last, but you know, you have to be encouraged by some of the performances from the young guys. That's kind of a silver lining. I know that it's getting late into a season to just be highlighting silver linings, but that's really what this A's team is about. 
hoping that they can find those guys that can be part of a future. And, you know, a guy like Mason Miller, watching what Ryan Noda's done, watching what Brent Rooker has done. And, you know, if the season ended right now or you were, you know, hitting the all-star break, that's probably your all-star is Brent Rooker because every team has to get one. And if something can happen for the A's to not just get back to, you know, playing great baseball, but just Give me closer to 500. We're going to wrap it up here because we're running up against time, but we'll keep you up to date with what's going on if we have to do an emergency podcast because something breaks in the Vegas news. This is the Win or Hughes podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Win or Hughes. You can find me on Twitter at Vegas Joe Hughes. You can find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube. Make sure to follow along and we'll talk again next week. Thanks for listening to the Win or Hughes podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe.